Luke chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse number 17. If you'll remember in verse 13, he called the disciples. And the thought of last week was using the common to do the uncommon. Now in verse number 17, and he came down with them and stood in the plain. In the company of his disciples. So he stood in the plain and the company of his disciples. Notice there's this distinction made between the disciples and the multitude. And a multitude, a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and they that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went out for excuse me, for there went virtue out of him and healed them all. I'm amazed. I'll talk about this again in a minute. I'm amazed at the sufficiency of Jesus. He is not just enough. He is more. He is sufficient for everything. It's amazing. And he lifted up his eyes in verse 20. On his disciples and said. From verse 20 through the rest of, much of the rest of the chapter, actually the entire chapter, you go to chapter 7 verse 1, now when he had ended all his sayings, and it's very similar to Matthew chapter 5 and what you read about the Beatitudes, he begins to lay out kingdom principles. And so in verse, and and I'll point this out again, in verse 17 through verse 19, his focus is on the multitude. But then in verse 20, his focus begins to zero in on the disciples. And so the title tonight is this, from a consumer to a disciple. We've, if you're saved... You've been in the first category. But God's intent is that you not stay there. He wants you to go from being a consumer to being a disciple. Father, glad that we get to be here. It's already sweet and wonderful. Would you help us to get this tonight? I hope it to be conveyed in a right spirit and to be received with the right spirit. And then help us to respond to your truth. Lord, help me with it. I need growth in this area. So please use your word to continue the process of building your people. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thanks so much for standing. I have up here something wonderful. It's a credit card. You know my favorite part of it? It's not my credit card. And I I think based on whose name is on here, it's like a $2 million spending limit. Pretty solid. That's what I heard, anyway, through the grapevine. Um... uh, First teenager that's up here, I'll give it to you, and, I, and then I'll give you the security code. Man, I, okay, I'm just kidding. All right, I guess they're on. 
Let me try something else. First teenager up here, I'm going to let you pick up the churchyard of trash for free for the next six months. Jason, sit down, dude. Good night. (laughs) Piles. If I felt like there was any sincerity in the way you were walking up here. You know what the truth is? Jason already has to do it because we get here just about before anybody else. And part of, and this is true. He would tell you this is true. I'm like, hey, Jason, you see that? Ashlyn, you see that? I can't tell you how many times Jason has busted out a weed eater or, but I even had Ashlyn cutting down weeds with a pair of scissors on Sunday morning. I mean, just do what's got to be done, picking up trash. And it, it's, it's one thing to say, hey, what do I get? It's another thing to say, hey, what can I be? What can I, what can I do? The statement that we made last week was God uses the common to do the uncommon. And I'm thankful for that. Oh, no, 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 get this, church family. Never lose sight of this. There is nothing wrong with being common. Man, that's not what, that's not what culture tells me. That's not what's on social media. No, look, the world tries to inflate us rather than making, making something great of the God that we serve. And I am thankful that there is a great God who takes people regardless of their social status, regardless of their past, regardless of their anxieties or fears, regardless of their limitations, and he uses them to do great things. And by the way, any great thing that God does through a person is a reflection of him. And I'm thankful for that. God takes people, and he, that, that can seem to be common, and he does uncommon things with them. I'm thankful for that. God does use the common, but God won't use, or his use of people will be limited, not because they're common, but because they're not committed. The need of the people here in our text was great. You see in verse number 17 that these multitudes came to be healed of their diseases. They didn't have access to the health care that we have today. And, and I understand that we can always find something to complain about, but I, I challenge you, even, even on rough days, to look out across the scope of health care in the world, and you, your heart ought to be filled with gratitude at the access that we have in this country. It's not a perfect system, and it's not always handled right. And I understand there are challenges that people have. I mean, Andrea and I have faced some of our own challenges, even with our children and different things that the Lord has allowed them to be through. I get it that it's not a perfect system, and I understand that not every doctor is perfect and not everything is going to be handled exactly the right way, but what we get to enjoy in this country is so unique to this country in many ways and to any other time in history, and you consider our own nation's history, man, we enjoy a tremendous health care. It's not just that they didn't have a thriving health care system back in Jesus' day. It's that things that we would think shouldn't kill you, people were dying every day from. All sorts of diseases and infections and physical ailments. These people, whatever disease you can imagine that would have been recorded in that day or things that would vex people, it was true. But verse number 18, it wasn't just diseases, but it was with unclean spirits. I don't, I don't expect you to remember this, but you go back earlier in, in this series into the beginning chapters, 
and you see that that it almost appears that there is an increase of demonic activity when Jesus comes onto the scene. And it seems as though there's a very real effort from Satan to undermine the work of God. And and Satan is active, and he does afflict people, and he, he he does mess in people's lives who haven't trusted in Jesus Christ. And by by the way, just as a side note, it is impossible for a saved person to be to be possessed by any kind of demonic activity. Now there are people today who get way too fascinated with the workings of the evil one and you just need to understand that they exist and that they have no power over you because you are saved and if you're saved you have all of the spirit of God in you. You say, well, I don't, what if I ever encounter something like that? Well, the answer is going to be the same, always the same. It's through the name of Jesus Christ. You just give people the gospel. You stand in the love and the truth of Jesus Christ. And whatever it is that we encounter, he's going to have power over it. And so, the, but these people are being afflicted to the point that these people are, that are, that are possessed by these demons, they are violent, extremely violent. They are suicidal. They are destructive both to others and to themselves. Verse number 19, the whole multitude sought to touch him. Their desperation is is displayed, it's demonstrated by the distance that they came. It, it references back in verse number 17, Tyre and Sidon. And these, these, would have been, these cities would have been approximately if, if where Jesus was, if I'm understanding that right, where he was geographically at this, at this moment, they would have been approximately about 39 miles away. And they didn't, they didn't have Uber, and they didn't have a subway, and they didn't have a bus. And because of the poverty of that time, most of them didn't even have an animal to ride. Having something like a donkey or a camel to ride was reserved for those who had more wealth. Most of these people, in fact, maybe all of these multitudes were there because they walked. You say, man, that's a long way to walk just to go heal somebody. But when it's your child that's sick or it's your loved one that's possessed, when it's you that's facing certain death, when it's you that's facing a life of uncertainty and all of these afflictions, you've been living with this pain, you've been living with this fear, you've been living with this torment, you can't sleep at night, your body is constantly in pain, there is no solution anywhere, you would be desperate for help as well and you might be willing to walk 39 miles. In fact, probably there isn't any distance that they weren't willing to walk. And this is what's amazing about Jesus. He didn't turn any of them away. Look at verse number 18. It summarizes. It's a, it's a continuing sentence from verse 17 down through verse, down through verse 18. I'll begin at the end of 17, which came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And they that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And then the whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went virtue out of him and healed them all. I don't know to what degree Jesus was verbally healing people or laying his hands on and healing people. We see different demonstrations of both. But there's also this demonstration that virtue went out of them and healed them. This is so cool. He is God. And he can speak it. He can touch you. He can think it. The virtue, the essence of who he is can go out from him. And he is not a respecter of persons. I'm so thankful for the compassion of Jesus Christ that desires to make 
people whole. We talked about this in the Sunday school lesson, those in the connect, in the, in the royal heirs here in the sanctuary, the, a heart of compassion. I'm so thankful that we serve a God who does not despise people in their weaknesses, that he sees them in their brokenness. He sees them in their weariness. He sees them in their loneliness. He sees them in their regret. He sees them in their wounds. And he loves them. And he wants to help them. We serve a God who is willing to show mercy and grace on anyone who is willing to come to him. I'm so thankful for that. Like a dehydrated man crossing a barren desert. They were in search for something that would refresh, for something that would heal, for something that would help. And when they found Jesus, when they found his healing touch, when they heard his healing words, when they, when they felt the healing virtue that exuded from them, and though they could not explain it, but they could see the difference in their life, immediately they drank it up. He can do what no one else can do for me. And they consumed his healing power. And he was, he was willing in grace and mercy to give it. Don't get bored with it. We're going to see it repeated in this series in Luke. Jesus is amazing. Please don't get bored with it. No, you can get distracted with things going on in the world, you can get distracted with this sports figure or this politician. You can get distracted with this bill or this sorrow. You can get distracted with this thing and that thing. And all of them need our attention to one degree or another. But I want to remind you, even in the world as it is, we still serve an amazing Savior. And what he was is what he is. He is able and willing to help anyone. Jesus is amazing. Mm. Love it. But there's a transition in verse number 20. And you've always got to remember this. When you're studying the Gospels and trying to understand the life of Christ, and then trying to make proper application from ministry then to what ministry should look like today, you've always got to understand this. Healing people physically was never the primary point. No, he did it because he loved them. He did it because he wanted to help them. He did it because that's who he is. But the point of healing wasn't an end in itself. The point of healing was to affirm the truth of what he preached. I am the son of God. Before Abraham was, I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I have all power over sin. I am the lamb that is slain before the foundation of the world. I am the eternal son of God. I am the redeemer of the world. And there were those who accused him of being a heretic, who accused him of, being, of speaking the words of Satan, and yet his actions affirmed his declarations about himself. And so that was the point. So there's a transition in verse number 20. He's healing all these multitudes. But then he, the text says this. He, lifts, he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said. Now we're not going to go through this right now. And this, this looks very much like the text of Matthew chapter 5. Without getting in a, into all of the specific details, there are some who argue that this account 
isn't the same account as what's recorded in Matthew chapter 5. As a reminder, God inspired every author of Scripture. They were moved by the Holy Ghost, and yet God used their personality and their different focuses to highlight different details of it. I personally believe that it's the same account that's being referenced here. There's some who argue with that. That's fine. We're not going to fight over those kind of things. But I believe that Luke chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 5 are recording, if not the exact same account, a very similar account. I believe it's the same account. But he's talking about, he's talking specifically to his disciples. The transition is important. In verse, in verse number 16, 17, 18, 19, the focus is on excuse me, 17, 18, and 19, the focus is on the multitudes and healing them and making them well and delivering them. But then when he begins to teach and speak in verse number 20, it is directed to the disciples. So get a definition, a couple of definitions that you know, but be reminded of. A consumer, I already demonstrated it, is one who consumes. Consumer. Got it? I consume. A disciple is one who follows after in order to be like, in order to be for. In, in Matthew chapter 5, it records that they actually climbed a mountain, and while that detail is not mentioned here, there is something that's occurred to where his focus shifts from the multitudes to now it's focused on the disciples. And what he begins to teach are principles of the kingdom. We'll go through these at a later time, the Lord willing. But just notice some of these. Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day, and leap for joy. Can, this is what I put in my notes. This is radical compared to the thinking of that day. Can I tell you it's radical to the thinking of any day? No, he literally says rejoice and leap for joy when people make fun of you and mock you and label you as evil because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Look, I feel like celebrating some things. I don't ever remember being told or labeled something that I was something terrible and wanting to go around and high five and hashtag celebrate. I'm on a hashtag reference today, hashtag kick today. You had to be in Sunday school. I don't, I don't remember like, hey, fist bump. I just got mocked for witnessing for Jesus. Whoa, isn't this awesome? I just preached and 90% of people that heard it were mad at me. And I know I was preaching truth. Sweet, let's have a store-bought dessert fellowship. <laughs> on Brother Vi. Actually, I got this. It'll be on this one, hallelujah. 
no, that, that's radical. That, that's contrary to the culture. But remember, Jesus didn't come to affirm the culture. Jesus came to establish his kingdom. And the truth of his kingdom is always going to be counter to the culture. And I'm not just talking about American culture. I'm talking about any culture that doesn't follow God. His kingdom culture and principles will always be counter to the culture in which his people live. You ever feel like what's taught in the Bible is kind of out of touch with what's going on around you? Hey, hey, this isn't the first time. Just ask. (laughs) No, just ask those midwives in Exodus chapter 1 and 2 who were being told to murder babies. And yet who hid them who with the help of God protected innocent life. No, just ask Joshua and the children of Israel marching around the walls of Jericho. Oh, we're really cool. I can't talk, so I'm just going to post it. Hashtag relevant. I don't know why I'm on that today. Nothing has happened. I'm just on that kick right now. I'm sorry. You see, Paul and Silas in a prison cell, having been beaten for the name of Jesus Christ, begin to pray and sing praises. And then there's an earthquake. And this is what Paul and Silas say to do. They they don't let anyone leave. They don't let any other prisoners leave. They compel them to stay in there somehow by the power of God on them. And when the jailer awakens to find the doors open and is ready to take his own life, they call out, sirs, do thyself no harm for we are all here. Talk about being counter to the culture, not only staying in the cell so you can be a witness, but then advocating for the life of the one who had been a part of your beating and being locked in that cell because they saw an opportunity for you to get saved. You talk about counterculture, that's what Jesus is all about because his kingdom is always going to confront a godless culture or rather a culture where Satan is the God of. It's radical compared to how they thought, radical compared to how we think. But there's this transition where he is confronting the disciples with this reality. It's not just about what he gives to me, but it is about what I am willing to give him and what I am willing to allow him to do in me so that I might serve him. And in every child of God's life, if you desire to be useful to him, and and, and, and I'll clarify some things in a moment, but if you desire to be useful to him, and if you desire to be more than just one who consumes, then there must be a transition from consuming to being a disciple. And I want you to get this statement. Consumers want from. Disciples want to be for. Consumers want from him. Disciples want to be for him. Now let me give you some statements, and then I'm going to be done. Which is how this goes. <laughs> Number one, we've all been consumers. Anybody that's sitting there thinking, yeah, well, I've never been a consumer, get off of your spiritual haughty high horse. That's how you got saved. 
You drank of the living water that is Jesus Christ. You saw your need, and you saw that there was nothing you could do about it. And you understood that he, he had paid all of your debt. He had taken that guilt placed it upon himself on the cross. He died. He made restitution with the holy God and forever offers eternal life to those that will believe in him alone. That is consuming, and it's all by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Man, I'm unashamed to admit it. I'm saved because I was willing to drink at his living water. If you're saved, it's because you are willing to be a consumer of salvation that he offers by faith. They get this haughty attitude. Yeah, bless God, I'm not a consumer. Yeah, I'm not, I don't think I'm wrong for saying this. If, if you believe I am and want to show me in scripture, that's fine. But I don't think there's a point in this life at which we cease to be consumers to one degree or another. Because we live of his grace. His mercy is new every morning. And he helps us and ministers to us. And every day I get to breathe his air consumer. Every day I get to enjoy a relationship with a wife that I did not create and that he and his wisdom brought us together. Consumer. Every day I get to enjoy the children that he's given us. Consumer. Every day I get to enjoy being a part of this church family. Consumer. I'm thankful for what he gives to me. I'm not against that. And think about what he's done for you. Think about how he's helped you. Think about how he's lifted you up. Think about how he's offered to you and encouraged you and strengthened you. The opportunities that he's given, the doors that he's opened, the work that he's done. And I'm so thankful for that. Number two, being a disciple. We're going to get to it in a moment. Number one, we've all been consumers. Number two, being a disciple is not a matter of salvation. Here's what I mean by that. Receiving Jesus as your Savior doesn't automatically make you his disciple. And being his disciple does not procure your salvation. Say, so what do you mean? You're not saved by what you do. And you don't lose it because of what you don't do. No. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a what? Gift of God, not of what? Lest any man should boast. Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his what? Mercy he saved us. I'm not, getting saved doesn't automatically make me a disciple, and being a disciple does not solidify my salvation. I'm saved exclusively, singularly, because of what Jesus is, who he is, and what he's done for me, and my willingness to believe in him and to accept that for myself. Being a disciple, here's point number three, is a choice to follow him, to learn from him, to be for him. Let me just make a statement about West Valley, what we desire to be. I'm not even pretending that I have mastered this as an individual. I have no, I, I have no idea. Right, and I'm just being really honest with you. I don't, I don't know exactly how to measure this as a pastor. I'm just sharing with you my desire is that we not be a church that is consumer driven. 
that we not be a church that's saying, hey, what do the people want? Hey, what, what, what is it, what is it, what is it, what is it that you want? I mean, t- tell us, tell, tell us what you want. That we not be a church that is consumer-driven. We be a church that longs to be and to produce followers of Jesus Christ. Disciples of Jesus Christ. Those who seek to know him, to be like him, and to live for him, to allow his kingdom to be produced in us and through us. We will be a church where any consumer can find hope. I'm not afraid of that. Jesus wanted everybody. Well, he, he didn't get everybody. I mean, he didn't even get all of his, the 12 that he called. But that didn't mean he didn't want them all. He's not, no, you, you better get this. He's not willing that any should perish. Well, pastor, some people perish. Right, but it's not because of a lack of desire for them on his part. He has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. All should come to faith in him. He would have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We will be a church by the grace of God, with the help of his Holy Spirit and his work, by holding forth the word of life and lifting up the name of Jesus Christ every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, on Wednesdays, when we do parking lot picnics, when we do outreach events, when we encourage God's people to come together for this event and this program, when we assemble to worship, to praise, to preach, we will offer the hope that Jesus offered to the multitudes, and that is in him. We're going to be a church where the consumer can find he who is worth consuming. I'm not trying to be irreverent about this. I hope you're getting it. He is he is the solution for what the world needs. And we will lift that up. But our ministry does not stop there. We don't just want to see people be refreshed for a moment. And I understand salvation is eternal, but God has a work that, he, that doesn't stop with salvation. God's not done working in a person's life after they get saved. He wants to see them, are you ready? Grow. Grow. Disciple. Let me give you some characteristics of disciples, sometimes contrasted with consumers, and then we'll be done. Disciples don't have to have their way to be on board. So what do you mean by that? Well, uh, Pastor, I'll be, on, I'll be on board with that as long as I get my way in every jot and tittle about this. You understand it's impossible to have a church where everybody always gets their way. You do know that even in your own homes, everybody doesn't always get their way. You do know that, right? And it's funny to me that people that will be logical about their own homes will be so illogical sometimes about the life of a church. No, it's not possible for everybody to always get their way. What do you mean by that? Somebody's got to lead. Somebody's got to make final decisions. And then sometimes you're going to be asked, hey, if you, we, need, we need workers in the nursery. Well, guess what that means? That means you're going to submit to doing things in a nursery that are already hard. But then on top of that, we have nursery policies. 
Meaning, you don't just get to go into the nursery and do it like you want to do it. That we have leadership who does a good job and others that have come alongside to help lead and guide the nursery. And sometimes you're asked to say, okay, look, it's not that that way is wrong. That's just not the way that we do it. You can be asked, and look, we're not saying this is better than anybody else. We're just saying this is the way that we do it. And so be on board with that because if God wants you here, if God wants you to be a part of this, then he knew that you were going to be asked to submit to those things. So just be on board with it. It's not violating biblical principle. It's not violating safety. It's not violating decency. So it's just a matter of one opinion versus another. So just be on board with it. And I could make that application to youth ministry, to Sunday school to any other thing that you want to talk about the truth is there sometimes we just want our way being a disciple is willing to be on board even when they don't always get their way number two disciples don't make demands they seek to serve hey you know what this is what i want and this is what I think. It's fine. It's great. While you're wanting that and thinking that, could you take a couple of tracks? Would you mind making sure the parking lot doesn't have any trash? Because that recycling plant is constantly having trash blown over here. And when you walk up here thinking that and wanting that, would you mind just grabbing some trash so that people drive by know we care about how our property looks? Hey, while you're wanting that and thinking that, and again, I, you, you, I didn't plan any of this. I'm just trying to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. We ask, we, we ask parents to make sure that rocks aren't being taken out of the flower bed and chunked all over the place, and then rocks get spread everywhere. And while you're wanting and demanding and expecting what you want, would you, would you mind trying to make sure that your children remain under control and that messes get cleaned up so that the property is presented in a way that's going to reflect that we care about it? And while you're wanting and expecting what it is that you want, would you mind smiling at some guests and shaking their hands and try to be friendly and engaging to people who might feel awkward about being in a place that's unfamiliar to them and an environment that they're unfamiliar with? Is this making sense? Disciples serve because it's right, because they love. I mean, I've, I've enjoyed so much watching this with my children as it relates to their mama. There has, and it's not perfect, (laughs) but you can see as the awareness starts to grow of children, not just of her as a consumer, meaning they are the consumers, and you know how that is. Hey, I want, I want, I need, I need, let me have, let me have. You know how that is. But then there becomes this awareness, man, my mom does a lot for me. I'm not saying that it's perfect, but she does a lot for me. And there is effort that they begin to take, not because it's easy, but because they love her. Again, not perfect, but it's wonderful to see. You know what a disciple does? A disciple is willing to serve because they love. Consumers are finicky. Many of these multitudes would be there on as Jesus came into Jerusalem, his triumphant entry near the end of the Gospels, crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. And it was just some, some days later that they were, those same multitudes were crying out, crucify him. 
disciples are faithful, not perfect, but faithful. These, not, not counting Judas Iscariot, these 11 men, they weren't perfect. They were far from it, and those imperfections were routinely demonstrated in the Gospels for us to learn from, and even more in the book of Acts. But you understand that God used them, not because they were perfect, but because he's perfect, and they were faithful. And disciples don't have to receive from in order to be for. You know, I, I'm so glad that Scripture gives us the authority to make our requests known to God. I don't, I'm not afraid of that. I stand on that when I pray for God's people about different things. God, you have given me permission to pray that this person will be healed and that this family will be helped and that this situation will be resolved. And God, I am asking you, and I do this, I, I pray this. God, I am praying that you extend their life. God, I am praying that you make this well. God, I am praying that you turn this around. God, I am asking you to do this on their behalf. But here's the truth, and we don't always know wh why one way and not the other in some situations, and why this way and not that way in other situations. We don't always know why some people get better and others don't. We don't, we don't always know why some situations turn out poor and others turn out positive. We don't always know why some things only improve and other things seem to go south. We don't, we don't have all the answers to that. We just know that there is a God who's in heaven to whom the secret things belong, and that we can trust him to work all things together for good. No, we can trust him for that. Here's the, here's the attitude of a consumer. God, if you'll do this for me, then I'm, I'm in. You know what a disciple says, God? This is what I'm asking for, but regardless of how it turns out, I'm still in. God, I want my family member to be made well, but regardless of how it turns out, I'm still in. God, I want that person to come back to you. But regardless of how it turns out, I'm still in. God, I want this broken heart to be restored. But even if I have to live with it for a long time, I'm still in. So many times we limit our faith and our following of Jesus to what he does for us. But if you're going to go to a level of being saved to then being a disciple, there has to be a transition from where you're not just thankful for what you receive from him. You are willing to be for him. So what defines your faith? Only being a consumer or learning to be a disciple. I'm thankful that I can drink from him every day. But if anybody goes out saying, man, you're just knocking, receiving, not at all. Consumer. Consumer. I consume of his grace and mercy every day. I benefit from his goodness every day. Not ashamed of it. I could not live without him. Thankful for it. His mercies fail not. But I don't just want to be a consumer. I want to be a disciple who says, yep, sometimes you get this, but sometimes you don't. 
But no matter what, Lord, I'm going to follow you in this. What defines? Consumers want from him. Disciples want to be for him. As we get into this, there are going to be some really challenging thoughts that he gives about how we approach Christianity. And we simply are starting with this. We need to understand the difference between a consumer and a disciple and evaluate ourselves. Which one are you? What's your trajectory right now? Is it only to consume or are you learning to use what he's given you to become a disciple as well? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I, so I was, I understand that I could, I could have done a better job in some of the application, applying these to some different scenarios. And any application that I made tonight, I'm not, this wasn't, there's no hidden agenda about this. These are just things that the Lord brought to my mind. And even now as I'm wrapping this up, I'm still thinking of other things unrelated to church that could have been said. But I trust the Holy Spirit is sufficient enough to make application in your life where it needs to be made. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, would there be anyone who would say, I am thankful to have consumed of his grace and benefited from it. I'm thankful for it. And not only have I done it in salvation, but I have benefited from his goodness in my life every day, and I'm thankful for it. And I just want to give testimony to it. Just raise your hand. It's good. It's good to be a child of God. Hallelujah. Can I ask you this question, though? Are you living exclusively in consuming? Or is there an effort to become a disciple? Is there an effort to be one who follows, who emulates, who learns of, so that he can work through? And, and, it, and it could be in certain areas you're, you, you're making progress, but other areas you're not. But would there be some who would say, I, I have a tendency to live as a consumer and not as a disciple. Maybe it has to do with church or my attitude here, but it could also have to do with my attitude at home, my attitude at work, my attitude toward my parents, my attitude about difficulties I come. I just, there are certain areas where I am only a consumer and I need to become a disciple and I want God to help me with that. Would you raise your hand? You say, that's me. Yep. I see him. God bless you for your honesty. Let's stand together. Lord, you've seen your people. Would you help us to be responsive to you? In Jesus' name, amen. While Brother Nate sings, if God has spoken to your heart, you respond to him.